Welcome to season four of My Dad's Podcast, My Black is Transnational. You can find this podcast on anywhere you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Enjoy the show. episode of my black is transnational and today i have on not just one i got two special guests to jump on the show um and i've been very excited to have them i've been seeing a lot of the things that they've been doing especially when it comes to um work specifically for people who have been who have been incarcerated um and an organization that has been really focused on transformative justice harm reduction empowering the black community um but what i really love about what they said and their mission is reciprocity um, and I really think about what they just did recently, which really excited me to have them on, which was their trip to Ghana. And I really wanted to bring that to the forefront when we talk about being um, transnational. So I have on here um, Alex Mohammed and Brandon Studevant. Um, did I say that right? Sturdivant. Sturdivant, I'm sorry. Sturdivant um, on the show. Uh, so what's up, y'all? How y'all doing? Thanks for coming on. Good. Thank you for having us. Hey, hey. Yeah. Man, so I know you all uh, have been doing a lot, and I, and I know I just kind of gave y'all a quick bio, but I do want to, before we get into the conversation, want y'all to introduce yourselves and talk about what y'all do and, you know, everything before we get deep into what the organization is about. Yeah, um, I can start. So Alex Muhammad, born and raised in Chicago. Um, we're actually in Tahoe right now on a staff retreat. Um and so i i've been an organizer for about 10 years i started doing grassroots um, organizing um in an org called soul southsiders organized for unity and liberation um a small scrappy black faith-based organization um doing kind of like you know c3 work um voter registration political education just basic community engagement. Um, Over the years, I started getting more into political work and met Brandon. Um, And we have one more partner, Daniel Espinosa. So it's the three of us who co-founded the Mass Liberation Project in um, about like almost five years ago now. Wow. So so a little bit about me. Yeah, so Brandon started um, from Oakland, California. Yeah, tapped into the work um, just because growing up in Oakland, West Oakland specifically, everybody around me was incarcerated, Hmm. impacted by the criminal legal system. Um, So jumped into organizing, first doing like education work, supporting people to like uh, keep our community schools open and quickly transition to um, helping formerly incarcerated and directly impacted uh, folks, you know, get resources for our community and stop folks from going to jail. Like she said, about five years ago, we tapped in and continue to build Mass Liberation Project, which is an opportunity for us to support like, you know, 10 orgs, eight states, mm. uh, doing a variety of work. And one of them, like our bedrock at this point is that trip, Return and Reclaim, we call it, mm. uh, a healing journey uh, back to Ghana. Mm. 
And so I'm gonna get into that, uh, you know. And he said, "Return and reclaim is the is the name." I love that, love that a lot. And and I think um, there's there's another R word that I'll I'll talk about in there when we when we get into that conversation. But so for the organization, like, what? I mean, what were the trends that you all really when you were were building this? What was the real true driving force? Um, I know we, we're focused on, you know, there are lots of organizations that are really dealing with mass incarceration and, and liberation, but what was your true, like, driving force and niche that you felt, okay, this is what we need to accomplish um, to make sure that we're moving in the right direction? Yeah. Um, so, for me, when I, my, my very first organizing job was in a Black-led organization, and it was dope, but like I saw how limited we were mm-hmm. in not being able to really engage in like the political arena, right? Like mm-hmm. we couldn't couldn't throw down on elections. We couldn't um, we couldn't run our own candidates that like mm-hmm. came from community that shared our values. And so once I like transitioned into organizations that had those capacities, mm-hmm. I was like one of maybe two black staff mm-hmm. um, moving. Uh, you know, honestly, like moving somebody else's agenda, right? Like a lot of tokenizing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in around that time, there was like a lot more money coming into mass incarceration work that mm-hmm. like just wasn't wasn't happening like that. Uh, so there was like a strong pull from organizations to like find black bodies mm-hmm. to just kind of like, you know, have the faces to collect the money to do the work. And that doesn't mean that they mm-hmm. weren't doing good work. Um, but it wasn't really being driven by like black folks, let alone directly impacted or formerly incarcerated folks. Yeah. And I'm also directly impacted. And so um, kind of like over my career and when I first met Brandon and Daniel, uh, I was primarily focused on prosecutor accountability work. So mm, okay. um, I led the field for an independent expenditure campaign to unelect Anita Alvarez in Cook County. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and and move in Kim Fox, uh, and and then kind of like held that community work between the state's attorney's office and community, a, a set of organizations for a couple years. And what I started to see, like as I, as you know, at least me moving into more national organizing, talking mm-hmm. to other organizations who were thinking about picking up and starting prosecutor accountability work. Mm-hmm. Um, was like we're we're still not driving the vision right and like i'm a i'm i'm a part of that right, right like right. this is somebody else's agenda and and to be honest like black organizers um particularly in organizations that uh didn't know how to hold formerly incarcerated folks mm. or directly impacted people um really didn't didn't have any capacities or skills around mm-hmm. uh, holding people with trauma we needed so much more and we also as black folks like the only, you know, mass incarceration isn't the only thing like impacting us. Right. Um, right. So I think it like it became really clear, like, OK, we're doing great prosecutor work, um, but like this isn't enough. Right? right. Our folks are getting burnt out. Our folks are leaving the organizations. Our folks aren't getting the support and like investment that they need. Um, so, yeah, that, that was like the kind of first starting point for me is like. I, I I remembered all of the stuff that I needed as as like a newer organizer, mm-hmm. um, and then found myself in a position like training and supporting other folks, and was like I'm re I'm doing the same thing, right? right. Like 
we need more. So, oh, Brandon, I don't know if you want to chime in. Yeah, I, I would only, I would just tap in and say that I think, you know, where where we're going, it's like founded upon like abolition, right? Mm. Like that. Okay. The legal system as it exists, but the way that this system works, all, a whole bunch of systems and structures and like um, isms, capitalism, right? Patriarchy, yeah. all ableism come together to create the the web that is the criminal legal system yeah. right that when i step into that when i come in contact with a police officer I, I, and that happens you know i can't even say police officer any any sort of like enforcement in mm. schools whatever mm. right mm. at the store as soon as i get them cuffs on me like now i'm like wheeled into a process that yeah. is hella hard to get out of and yeah. so we need to abolish a whole bunch of shit. yeah that like there's a cursor that like <laughs> <laughs> that like uh, creates the, the idea of the criminal legal system being possible. So that's one. That's yeah. where we're going. Yeah. And then the idea, like what Alex talked about, is most Black organizers have that experience of feeling tokenized, feeling mm-hmm. isolated, mm-hmm. not being able to control their work. And a lot of times, folks get the um, like have the creativity to be like, how do I create like my world within this larger organization? And mm-hmm. so we, we we both experienced that. And Alex actually came up with the name when we were talking about like, yo, what do we want to create a couple of years ago? She was like a political home. And it was like, that's what it is. Mm. So we're a political home. We're a place where like you come, you get training, right? Mm-hmm. You get an opportunity to heal, not outside the space and some other shit, but like, like with us as a collective, black bodies heal together. Yeah. Right. And then we also get training and coaching and a whole bunch of supports, but it's all that political home is taking us to like abolition and also like black folks thriving. Like mm-hmm. once we get the foot off our neck, what's right. possible, right? Right, yeah. right. And you know, so now I love you all bringing, I see it on your shirt, Alex, and that word abolitionist, right? And so or the, even the word abolitionist, fundamental definition, I think a lot of people tend to historically um, perceive that word in different ways. And so I want to know, especially for those listening from various backgrounds, um, that word abolition, what does it mean to you all as an organization? You want to start? No, you got it. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'll start with, I grew up in a black Muslim family mm-hmm. uh, that was super insular, but it was all about like community. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the concept of actually like creating a world where we have self-determination, self-governance, um, what you need the community has mm-hmm. uh, was like second nature to me. Mm-hmm. Um, abolition to me is a world where the primary method of like cultivating safety for folks, creating community and belonging, and even when like harm or breakdowns in relationships happen, um, punishment isn't the it isn't the go-to tool, right? right? right. Um, everybody is like capable of redemption right um and we there are tools out there right we have restorative justice we have transformative justice Mm -hmm. um and and punishment and incarceration isn't like uh it it isn't like god given right it's Mm -hmm. like something that we created Mm -hmm. um and i think the the system that we have now actually doesn't do any of the stuff that it claims to do, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. restore people. It doesn't heal people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it's just causing more harm. So abolition to me is actually a world um, where we 
are constantly trying to figure out healthy ways to stay in relationship or stay in the right relationship mm -hmm. and not perpetuate more harm. Yeah. So it's about community. And I think when people hear abolition, what they're thinking of is like anarchy, right? Right. right. So a world where prisons are abolished does not mean a world without accountability, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It means accountability that's rooted in like values, it's principled, and it's about like long-term investment in people and community and right. in relationships. Right. Um, we don't have to throw people away to mm. like learn learn from from breakdowns, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I I love that. Um, and I think about you know in other parts of the world, um, and I think a common one is like when you look at like places like Germany or even like Sweden, right? And you think about their their actual like correctional centers are truly correctional, and like in places in Germany where when you've done your time you're not looked upon as this like outcast to society, right? You're not, you're not ostracized for um, whatever mistakes you've made. So when you talk about you can't throw people away, right? And here it does not. It's definitely a, a punitive system that's built on, like, you know, Brother Brandon said, stepping on your neck and stepping like deep on your neck, like in your neck, right? So to the point where you, you know, just can't, there's no, no, no room for air. Um, and so... And as I'm thinking about your response, I start to go back to just the fundamental aspects of what you described before as being an organizer. And one of the things that I think historically in my experience is when I talk to people who are organizers is the challenges uh, of, of organizing in the black community and the, the, the reception, how people receive or embrace your ideals and, and, and the vision um, how well do you think your organization has been received or, you know, what's the buy-in and are people jumping on? I mean, I know you all are working in different states and doing a lot of good things, but I just feel like being an organizer in the black community is not easy. And so, you know, so what, what are the type of things, how, what was the challenges and, and the, and the things, the barriers that you all face that you all are overcoming or have overcome and are working tours continue to um, address because when you talk about politics in the black community, it's like that's not something that a lot of people are comfortable talking about. So how do you all get into that, especially when you are creating a political home that people you want people to feel safe in? Yeah, I think um, so. I think that like we support a bunch of orgs who do a lot of deep on the ground work with folks, okay. and also have been like organizers decades plus um, on the ground, and so. When I think about organizing being hard in the black community, for me, it, 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 um, it makes me think about like, how are you trying to have conversations with people? Mm -hmm. um, because like, when you tap into anybody, particularly our, our folks with like, something that actually excites them, it's, it's actually pretty easy to get people involved, to get them um, activated, and then actually to show folks it's possible to build power and change conditions. Mm -hmm. So. Just quickly, I, I, my first organizing experience, I helped save a school in the same community that I was, you know, my family was evicted out of. Mm. That changed my life. Mm. I'm gonna organize in some sort of way forever. And so I think what we try to do is like bring stuff down to the level of people's experience. So like okay. the criminal legal system is this crazy huge thing that you can't do anything about. But what mm. you can do about, do stuff about is like fighting to, um, to close this jail. Mm. You can actually, fight to end collateral consequences for folks. Mm. You're like, what's your experience and how do we connect your experience to a lever 
in the system that we can pull to actually like transform our experience. Mm-hmm. And that and the key to that is that's like a building block that gets us to long term abolition. Because mm-hmm. so I have the experience, and I, I don't know about you, Alex. Like like I'm, I'm naming it. I'm the one person in my family who hasn't done like prison, prison or significant jail time, right? right? And so when I first t- tapped in, I'm going back to some of the stuff you said about a challenge. Yeah. Hey, y'all, y'all want to organize? It's like, in jails? Nigga, what? <laughs> exactly. exactly. I've been in there, B. Exactly. <laughs> you talking. I've been in there, B. And guess what? Like, some people, if he was outside, I'm whooping his ass. Mm-hmm. I don't want him out here, right? Like, that mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. a whole, uh, that's a world where our, uh, that our, our folks come from. And that comes from number two things. Number one, not being able to connect like my pain to a system, mm. right? Feeling like it's just mine to carry. And number two, yeah. a lack of imagination. Mm. And so I, I do think we do a good job at this point with folks of tapping like, here's your experience and how you can actually do something about it, but also giving space for, for people to imagine another world. Cause that's what makes abolition harder. Yeah. The fact that there is only one way, right? right to live in the, the way is, when I am harmed, somebody has to be punished. Right, right, exactly. And that that in itself, especially in the black community, is God. I want the word I'll use is a is a facade or even an illusion, right? Because I think that idea that it's not possible, in my opinion, is um, it's just it's it's something that I think is a product of us just being in this system and being, I said, blind blindfolded. Because when we think about other spaces where people have the resources they need to live and thrive, right? I mean, we think about a good example that I've heard once a while back. I don't remember who actually mentioned it, but a good example of a place is for um, in California. Uh, is it uh, not Orange County? Uh, uh, it's one one of the university Irving Irvine Irvine. Right in Irvine, uh, in California, apparently one is considered one of like the safest cities in America, and they use that example of it, and it may have changed now, but they use the example of it being having only one police, only one police department, and everybody is doing well. And when issues happen, they don't just send them to jail; they send them to rehab. They have correction. They they do things. And I think about our community as far as if if you say nigga, like I don't want this nigga out here. This nigga crazy. Like this motherfucker, right? Like you know, you the reason is, and if someone is actually out there to truly, I mean, there are some some legitimate psycho and sociopaths. But if there were resources out there to try and actually help and connect whatever trauma it was that triggers you to engage because most people when no one really wants to create harm unless you do have some like psychopathic issues but most people just want to live and do their thing and and have all they need to be able to survive and eat and take care of the family if people had those resources that's the world we can imagine right like that when we talk about liberation that's kind of what i see i see that idea of being able to be free enough to live the life that you imagine yourself living and have the resources to be able to address issues that may emerge, um, whether it's mentally, physically, whatever the case may be. And I think that in our community, we need to be able to start bringing those ideas more to the table for people to talk about. Because um, if not, then we kind of go into that, that nigga got to go to jail. This is all we know. I had a best friend from high school who was incarcerated for a long time. And fortunately for him, he came out, he wasn't necessarily, you know, he came out unscathed, so to speak, but the, you know, his mindset, uh, as far as being so, de- that was another world for him that he was so used to that coming out, 
he didn't really know how to re you know reintegrate into the community and that in myself is just a very sad thing to see um for 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 brothers and sisters alike um all right but i i want to now transition we're going to kind of segue into your um return and reclaim thing and so now i'll first start off by asking not about how y'all got there but what has y'all experience been working with the African immigrant or, you know, continental African or diasporan uh, community with your work? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I'll throw it to you as well. I've had like, um, I've had a great experience. The folks that um, we've tapped into also have like, you know, are African and have like a, um, a like diaspora and spirit about them too, right? Mm-hmm. Like they understand um, the like the horrors of of slavery, right, and what it's done to all of us, mm-hmm. and like are excited about helping us reconnect mm. um, back back home. And and the folks we tap in with who are, it's called God Box Tours, they um, actually are like. Yo, like we 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 know the power of actually coming home, tapping in with your ancestors, yeah. and we want to do anything we can to make that happen. So yeah. I've had a, a pretty good experience. How was yours? Yeah, same. Great experience. I don't have much more to add. So when y'all were coming up, when y'all were coming up individually, you know, growing up here in America, what were y'all interactions with Africans? Did y'all have any like interactions, perception, perspective? Be real. Keep it. Keep it one hundred. You know, it's. You trying to tap in, huh? We, okay. We, get, we getting somewhere. Messy. <laughs> we getting somewhere. So in Oakland, I would say we did not. So, you know, like, I, I think a lot of migration has been regional, right? So mm-hmm. I went to American in D.C. So in college, I was quite a few Nigerians I, mm-hmm. I knew. Um, growing up as a, as a youngster, I didn't, I didn't really know Africans. And in fact, I'm not going to lie, I probably had a derogatory kind of like you know, African scratcher, all that kind of right, weird right, right. stuff that we learned. And, you know, you saw in Boys in the Hood and yeah. that scene. That was, like, how we grew up. So I definitely, I don't think I had a um, super positive connotation, which was on purpose, right? Like, right. they, like, a whole, like, campaign to make us, yes. like, actually dissociate. From, yes, from very intentional. Absolutely. And, and I'm getting this somewhere with this. So we'll, we'll be, we're building to something. I, uh, you know, my, my, my father, um, uh, my my father is and was extremely pro-black, pro-Africa. Um, my father's traveled to the continent quite a few times when he was young. Um, and so I, I kind of like, I had like an analysis as like a young person. My, the f- first kind of like real experience with, um, a Nigerian person in high school was not was not the best, but it was because we were both kind of competing <laughs> for who was getting the better grades. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, that sounds you know, about right. I, I'm not even gonna lie though; he was like misogynistic. So yeah, yeah. you know, I, it was this one particular paper that we were working on that was like 65% of our grade. Um, and it was his turn to do the draft and it happened to be the last draft before we submitted. And he just undid all of my work. And we went from being at like a B minus to a D. Um, we also happened to go to college together too. <laughs> I didn't talk to him after that. Wait, what? Um, he went to U of yeah, I? 
Now I got it. Yeah, he, he went to you. Now about. I'm about to break down the list. I'm about to, I'm about to figure this out. <laughs> no, I'm just. You hit a spot. You hit a spot. Now I'm about to figure it out. You know. The so you know, he 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 was my he was my nemesis nemesis for a little bit. You know, he, he had Velcro shoes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, this is hilarious. But but in college, um, I actually had I had to two two really really great friends who um uh both were nigerian um and just like super creative people in college i found myself around a lot of creatives dancers yeah. artists singers um and that was like you know those two folks and kind of a couple other black yeah. folks were like really the the people who i rocked with yeah um my roommate actually three people my my roommate my junior year uh was also Nigerian and mm -hmm. she would, she would, her cooking was so good. So I think that like from, from, from high school, like yeah. I was able to isolate it. Like that was just him. Yeah. Right. Like he was, he was shitty to me. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, yeah. So some, some of my friends in, in, in college were African. Goddamn Nigerians, man. Um, I mean, that's why y'all went, that's why y'all went to Ghana. Y'all ain't even think about going to Nigeria first. <laughs> nah, um, so the reason I bring that up is because I'm gonna give y'all my perspective. Like, if, if I was a, when I was a shorty growing up, when I immigrated here in 98 and I was growing up in, in Chicago, north side, they moved to south side, you know, an organization like y'all's right now would have been something that my parents would have been like, that's not our problem. Right, like, like basically, you know, see, so and when we talk about what Brandon mentioned as far as the um, intentionality, right? So we have African immigrants who come to the United States, are you know, first generation, which are the parents, and they would tell someone like me, like, you're not them, right? Those those people, those they out here trying to do that liberation. That that's not us. We're not. We know where we're from, right? So don't get yourself into their situation in trying to. You know, what are you liberating? Right. So so that, that mentality used to always bug me because we're the same. Right. And then and then so the idea of a lot of a lot of African immigrants come through and they look initially because of imagery and, and the false messaging that's been shared. They look at the African-American struggle, the black struggle in America, and they essentially want to disassociate themselves with it because the idea that if we're affiliated with that. The term they use is downward assimilation, which essentially means that now y'all bringing me down, y'all bringing me down with y'all, right? Like, so if I associate myself with black people in America, our value essentially goes down, which is a terrible thing to do, right, to the community, because now you're creating this idea of the new model minority. And and so what, what I found was when I saw y'all organization doing this and reconnecting, it made me start to think about the idea of understanding that a lot of Africans, if not the parents, a lot of their kids grow up in the world. And regardless of whatever they say, like you said, your friends, your roommates, they, their experience with the African-American struggle is very legitimate. And nowadays, when we talk about what's happening to black people in America, they're not really saying, oh, you're African. We're going to let you go. They pulling triggers and it doesn't matter. The bullet don't know your nationality. You know what I mean? So I think nowadays, especially in the with the response to George Floyd, I think, and of course, other situations that have been happening throughout that haven't been as um, um, notarized as George Floyd's death. Um, I think a lot of African immigrants are starting to wake up a little bit, but 
it's there's a lot more that needs to be done as far as you know bringing us together because it there's a lot more power that can be done uh, that can be had if both groups came together. So when we talk about return and reclaim, and I, so that's why I thought about that. The word that I always use here on this podcast is reconcile, right? Because I think when we say you know returning and reclaiming, but there also needs to be a reconciliation that needs to happen. So I was very excited to see y'all actually go back to Ghana and really, you know, reclaim that and, and be immersed in the culture there. So I definitely want to know, and I think the listeners would love to know what their experience was like for y'all first African-Americans going back to Ghana and really just getting the whole experience. What was that like? Um, yeah, so, so I went originally in 19 and then we just took the mm-hmm. whole mass lit crew and so um going back is um i mean it's like i'm trying to describe it i'm trying to find the words because it's a moment of like it's like having um it, it's like it's it's like a ha- having like um reconnecting with something that that um that's always been yours mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this shit is this mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. This, this feels new, but it also feels very old mm. and it also feels super grounding. Yeah. So for me, it, it um, touching the soil, first night going in and, and, and thanking the ancestors um, and, and Cape Coast and, yeah. um, you know, we do a naming, there's a naming sor- ceremony mm. that folks, that I experienced, that we, we have folks experience, yeah. connecting with folks inland. Um, all, of, all of it was... Um, in a word, healing. It tapped into an experience, right. an internal experience of like, like a settling. Mm. Or like, oh yeah, I'm from here, mm. right? Like mm. the ground is welcoming me. The sea is welcoming me. The air is welcoming me. And the people are like, you know, Aquaba, mm. welcome. welcome back. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, uh, yeah, it, it, it was an amazing, amazing experience. How, how was it for you? Yeah, for me, um, I think it was, I'm, I'm very, I'm a very internal person, Mm. um, but it was, it was emotionally overwhelming. I agree with like everything that you shared. Um, but it it was a lot, like it was a lot to take in, in a really good way. Mm. Um, I think it was, it was just like an undoing of a bunch of shit that you like, carry yeah um just like being you know being in the states um i felt like i was doing a lot of unlearning and a lot of learning yeah uh it's you know feeling safe and comfortable you know particularly as a small black muslim woman in on the south side of chicago right like that is not yeah that is not something that i've that feels like inherent right like what is that what does that fucking feel like? Yeah. Um, it seeing right, like seeing black faces, black people. All over. Uh, the 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 sort of deeper we got into Ghana, into the villages, like no white people, definitely like no police. Yo. Um, <laughs> and it was just, it was beautiful. Yeah. I was just like, I've been so lied to. Yeah. Yeah. About this entire continent, like yeah. I've been lied to. Yeah. Um, so I also felt like really, really fucking angry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
you know, you know, I love that, man, and I and I appreciate the 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 um the authenticity in y'all just expression of that because that that's real, um, and that's something that I want more people to experience, and this is kind of one of the driving forces of this podcast. Um, I've had many conversations with many people who kind of speak on like when I took my wife with me to Nigeria. Um, and I always, and the funny thing about it is that I'm saying this on the air. I know my people is going to kill me, but I always tell people go to Ghana first. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I always tell people go to, but I took my wife to Nigeria. Um, and wow, like, and even then, like, you know, when she went to Nigeria, which is, can be a nice place, but it can also be very wild, wild west. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that she said immediately, and we weren't in Lagos, we were in the, in the capital Abuja and. When she got off the plane and she just got in the car with my dad and me and my uncle and we were just driving and she was just like, yo, not one white face. You know, like just crazy. Like she was just like, yo, it's a, I'm in a I'm in a space with all people who look like me. Right. Like it's yeah. it was just it was similar to you where you just feel like, damn, like like I didn't I, I, I this is me. I mean, this is mine, but I didn't know it was mine until I got here and I realized that. So now I have to re reacclimate. So she was just emotionally like taken aback by just everything um and similarly feeling like man i've been lied to like yo they've been telling me this place was a jungle for years yep. not realizing that like it's they're there especially in places like ghana and lagos like there are lots of advancements in like in society and in technology there's a lot of good things happening in these places that y'all trying to downplay so i mean one of the things that i think um we, we have to continue to do more is try to empower people in understanding that you can, this is home for you. This is the crib. I mean, I mean, historically you can meet, you know, do me 23 or whatever the case may be. But at this point, that whole continent fam, you pick a place that you want to call home and let's, and let's remake it home because, you know, our ancestors taken away from each other, separated, but um, we also have been forced in both sides. And that's why I try to explain to people is that African-Americans went through a, a, a 400 years of something that y'all can't like people take 400 years and make it seem like it's just yesterday. 400 years is a long ass time. Right. Yeah. And, and and then we think yeah. about colonialism here and in, 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 I mean, not here, but in, in Africa. And I mean, we've both been through. But again, we have to understand that this all these things were intentional. So when I think about what you all did as far as going back and really reclaiming and reconnecting, I hope that you all and continue this because I really feel there are a lot more people who feel empowered knowing that like you're not limited to America. Mm-hmm. You're just not. I mean, your your ancestors were were forced to migrate there and and they built this country. <laughs> you know what I mean? From bit, brick by brick blood, sweat, and tears, but you also have a home that you can take advantage of. And the idea of being transnational is always about being able to take, have the best of both worlds. Why not? Other people do it. Other people do it, right? They're calling my black as transnational because you, we as black people are entitled to the rights and benefits of what the world offers us because a lot of our ancestors were taken all over to build it. They felt we were the best ones to build it because of whatever physical labor. They took our ancestors and they forced us to build damn near the entire world. And everybody was in on it. <laughs> Let's just call it what it is. If you want to really get down to all the race, all the, everybody was in on this this whole thing called slavery. And so we're entitled 
in my mind, through the rights and benefits of what the world has to offer. So why limit ourselves to just being in South Side of Chicago? Go yeah. back and take advantage of Africa. There are lots of people who are willing to receive you. And when you talked about the whole like white, not seeing a white face, I, I always joke about this too. Like my, my wife happens to be light skinned and fair in complexion. And she was the closest thing to white. They were like to the point where my <laughs> uncle was like talking to one of my um, cousins. Look, she was like three. And, he, you know, he's talking to my, about my wife. He's like, did you say hi to the white lady? And she was like, what the fuck did you just say? Like, you know, for her, she was just like, what the fuck you mean? Like, me? White nigga? Like, do you not understand? What? Like, so so, so it was, I always find that funny because to them, back in the, that's how it is. Like, being light-skinned is like white. Like, they don't even consider it. <laughs> like, there's so many black people there that that's, to them, is like, this is as white as it gets. And then you bring whiter people in, it's like, oh, shit, what are you doing here? You know, so... It's, I mean, I just, I hope that you all continue to do because there's a lot of reconciliation that needs to be done, but I hope that more organizations who are based with, who are primarily African um, immigrants can see what you all are doing and find ways to collaborate with y'all because immigrants that sit here, they can sit here and flex, both parties can flex, but we in this country and we dealing with the same bullshit, regardless of whatever anyone wants to say. Um, and what you all do as like an organization and the, and, the, and the work you all do, the benefits of that impact all of us. Mm-hmm. It does. Because I'm sitting here as an African immigrant and my son is going to grow up and the, and the work that you all are going to do is going to help him. Right. Regardless of whatever he identifies as. So um, I, I hope that this is something that you all will continue to do. Will y'all continue to do something like this or was that a one time thing? Yeah, we um we have a we're, we're gonna take twenty five people this year. Nice. It's an annual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Good. yeah, it's a, it's an annual event. Um, return and reclaim is annual now. Like we're taking folks I love it. consistently. One of the things you tapped in on though that I wanted to to bring full circle for the conversation with abolition, mm-hmm. colonialism, slavery, all of that has a, a traumatic effect on our people. Yeah. So it's intergenerational trauma yes. that we're going like intentional healing journey for our folks. And as part of that healing journey, we think about how do we actually talk, how do we actually feel safe enough mm. to be able to imagine and create the world that we want. Mm. So the feeling that Alex talked about, like I was lied to, that feeling of like, yo, I actually have safety in my body. That's why we're taking people there. That's why we're taking people home to let them get that felt sense of safety that changes everything and how you walk, how you talk, how yeah. you act, yeah. what you, you can wear, yeah. right? Yeah. All of that. That changes it. I love that. I love that. That's that's dope. Um, so then, so twenty five. How many people did y'all bring the first time? It was fourteen. It was fourteen of us. Okay. Um, all together the first time. So uh, we we kind of did not a test run, but you know, Brandon had already been um, to Ghana specifically and kind of done this specific journey before. Uh, so we took you know, a set of the the folks in the work, Mm -hmm. right, directors and leads and the organizations that we're most closest with. Um, So it was my first time too, right? Mm -hmm. I was in a learning position. Um, But just to kind of like, one, let's do it, let's experience it. Mm -hmm. And then let's regroup and think about um, who in our organizations, who on the ground, who in the work needs this. um, And how can we put more more shape and more practice to it mm-hmm. um, and more focus about like the purpose of the journey. Mm-hmm. So uh, for the next iteration of work, um, we're looking at, you know, folks who still formally incarcerated, directly impacted black folks, 
um, who might be newer to, to movement work, newer mm -hmm. to organizing, mm -hmm. um, who are on a journey around their app, you know, their analysis, um, uh, and, and thinking about taking a, a larger, a larger group, mm -hmm. um, of folks. Yeah. Okay. Um, in October and October, the whole, the whole, yeah. the long-term game plan is what, it, what would it look like? What would it do to movement? over the next 10 years to have 250 people who unlocked, who went home, you know what I'm saying, who reconnected, who are yes. actually like newer organizers yes. and leaders. Yes. Like, yes. like yes. folks who are running organizations, yes. who, are, who are like on the front lines having conversations around yes. like, the, like you said, the challenge of organizing with black folks and mm -hmm. safety, right? Mm -hmm. If I have this internal sense of safety, like what, what does it look like when I come back? Mm. How, 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 how much power do I bring to my organizing when I know where I came from. When I first tapped in there, man, there was days of crying, like, fuck, this is where I'm from. Bro. Like, there, I have a back that extends past my trauma, Bro. past, past the, the, you know, the South, past slavery to like, this beautiful, beautiful place. Like, I, um, I, I want that, we want that. We yeah. want that for everybody. Yeah. And, and our, our, our contribution is like, we can do that for about 250 folks over the next few years. And and, and uh, let unlock let them unlock themselves and get free. Well, I'm gonna tell you right now. I want in on that. Like whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, that ass. I do. I want. I want in on that. That's what this is. That's my life's work, man. Yeah. I mean, you. So so when I see that and I hear that, that brings that, that sparks a fire in my heart because that's my life's work. My whole. I mean, if you look me up, my research, anything that I do, the idea, um, the whole point of my work on transnationalism and the black community is focused on that. Like being able to have people say, look. What, what would happen if we take people back, right? And take, and, and so what I tell people is that, you know, if you, if you grew up like, you know, um, Alex said, grew up on the south side of Chicago. And I mean, you know, you, I mean, even in Oakland, you know, everybody kind of knows the struggle that's happened in certain hoods. And I'm like, yo, if we took some people and said, yo, that these dollars that you're hustling to make and, and, and go day for day, whatever, if you took that money and invested in Africa and you were able to build your own home or build something that you believe is yours and it's truly yours like wh who, can, who can talk and tell you shit here like you have something i mean you have something that you like like brandon said you came you come back home you come back to the states you feel like you got your peoples behind you right and yeah. so it's like you, there's a certain added confidence there's a certain added conviction where you don't feel like this the american system and all it's for all it's good but all its flaws a lot of flaws you don't feel like it's life or death like you don't feel like this is the only thing because you understand now that there's more from where you, from where you came from and so i think that's empowering and so to be able to start the word i'll use is building bridge building a bridge right and i think that's what we got to continue to do so when i say i want in i want to support that i I'm, i seriously do want to find any way i can to support your movement um, and similar movements because we have to start building a bridge, an actual bridge that takes people back home if they choose to, to start reconnecting and investing back in Africa. And not saying to give up America because your people still built it too. But now we start to create a, a, a pipeline or a channel of more resources, more support, more empowerment. So when we talk about creating that world, I mean, you start to feel less limited. The ceiling... Yeah. The, you've taken you've taken the ceiling off. Now the sky feels a little bit more like the limit. You know what I mean? And I yeah. think that's what we want. That's what we need. You know what I mean? So I I, I love what y'all are doing, 
Um, and I want to be able to find ways to support. And for those who are interested in being part of your, you know, return and reclaim or just being part of your uh, your organization, how do, how do people get in, in tune and get involved? Because I, I want people to know about this. Yeah, so we actually just relaunched our website, okay. which we're super excited about. It was a long time coming. Um, so folks can go to our website. It's masslibproject.org. So M-A-S-S. L-I-B-P-R-O-J-E-C-T dot O-R-G. Um, and right, they can find more info on us, who we are as an organization, and then the email info at MassLib um, is on the website too. Okay. If folks want to tap in. Okay. And so that's, and says, that's the website, social media. Okay. Um, and then so my last, uh, my last question is what do y'all and I know y'all talked about the 250, but what would y'all want to be y'all legacy as an organization? Like if when it's all said and done, you look back and say, you know what, this was a success um, for all three of y'all, even though the third person is not here. But what would you consider um, an actual like, OK, we got the job done type of thing? Yeah, I can I can start. You look like you're deep in thought. Um, so. I think where where MassLib is in kind of decarceral movement work um, is we're trying to meet directly impacted black, formerly incarcerated folks where they are and bring them on a journey around abolition. Mm. Um, what's primarily happening in movement is conversations around like reform. Mm -hmm. um, so let's like tinker with the system so that it's a little bit better, but the conversation around completely overhauling it, right, abolishing it and creating something new that actually serves us, is for us, and reflects our values, isn't like the primary conversation. Or if it does come up, it's like wild, right? Mm -hmm. It's inconceivable. Um, so success for me, right, like MassLib did, did what it did, is like significant contributions to like actually making the conversation around black liberation, healing work for black folks, and abolition of like a system rooted in, in punishment and harm mm -hmm. as like, right, a real national conversation. Like folks are talking about it at the dinner table. Mm -hmm. um, at that, that would be, that would be like, we did, we did what we needed to do. We moved the conversation and movement mm -hmm. away from like, folks do need to go to jail to like actually, how do we, how do we rebuild community? How do we heal? Mm. Um, how do we be in relationships um, that actually like feed us? Yeah, and I would say if you think about like some of the <coughs> folks who have led movements in the past, oftentimes there's like a, a set of relationships that go back together that when everybody started out. Um, and so, like like SNCC, right? Like certain organizations that like, they didn't, you know, 50 years from, from now, it's not, it's not around, but it, but it created like the moment for a set of people to yeah. get the kind of foundational uh, like training and supports yeah. to like create all sorts of shit in the world. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing that I feel like about the criminal legal system work as we see it today, funding, being naming being honest with you white folks all that shit stuff is fickle mm -hmm. but what we what, what we can control and what i what i see mass live like really tapping into as alex is saying is really 
around like kind of narrative work, supporting people to think differently about mm -hmm. the world, to think differently about abolition as possible. Mm -hmm. Also see us um, really tapping into like healing, not as like this nebulous thing that is out there, but like actually to supporting people through arcs of transformation, yeah. these leaders who are like emerging and continue to lead in the space. And then the last thing is like a, just a space and place for, uh, when we look back 20 years from now, it'll be like, yeah, that was my political home. Mm. Like that was the place that, that, that like raised me. Um, yeah, I'll be good with that. Okay. Yo, and so I think that's a, that's a, that's a great way to end this conversation. Um, Alex and Brandon, I just thank you all again uh, for taking the time. This was dope and I appreciate y'all. Um, and all of the work that you all are doing for the community, for our people. Um, I, I definitely, again, you know, here on my Black is Transnational, whatever, I can do whatever we can do to be able to continue to support your cause, promote it, put it out there. Please let me know. Because, I, I, like I said, I want in. So I'm dead ass on that. And I'm going to follow up because I definitely all want right. to that. We're going to hold you to it. <laughs> Listen, man. I, listen, I definitely am about that life. So please, uh, you know, please let me know what, what I can do. Because my, my, my job is continue to try to find you all the supporting orgs. I want to be an, I want to have an organization that supports y'all. I want to bring in more organizations from, you know, from the African community to be able to be part of this and continue to grow. So we talk about that 250, 250 people goal. I, I want to help reach that. So we're we going to make that happen. So again, thank you all so much for your time. Um, I know y'all got a retreat going on. So I hope y'all enjoy that. And uh, wishing you all nothing but success and prosperity. And I definitely hope that that world that we're imagining, um, I hope we start taking more bigger steps towards making that a reality. We will. Sure. Thank you. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate, appreciate Take care. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of My Black is Transnational. If you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe and download this podcast on any of your favorite podcast listening apps. If you'd like to learn more about this entire operation, you can check out our website at www.blacktransnational.com. You can follow us on Instagram at Black Transnational Podcast. You can follow me, the host, at Black Transnational underscore. You can check out our Facebook at Black Transnational Podcast. And we are on Twitter at MBIT. Thank you so much again for listening. Until next episode, my name is Dr. Kalichi Bay Lambert. My black is transnational. And I hope by the end of this, yours will be too. Peace. <laughs>